0: Thank you very much, Brother Heisel. It's a joy and privilege to be with you this morning on this beautiful Lord's Day. Of course, there's a great deal that we could talk about this subject of evolution, as the pastor says, is something that has permeated all of our society, and every every subject, every discipline, and everything that we study is affected by it one way or another. But I suppose that probably the point, uh, the part of it that affects us most of all is that which deals with man, the origin of man, and the meaning of man's life, uh, who he is, where he's from, what he's doing, and so on. So I thought we might do do that a little bit this morning at the Sunday school hour, study the subject of man's origin, both from the Bible and from science. Of course, in the schools, we're taught that man has evolved from an ape-like ancestor beginning about 50 million years ago, and that finally he developed into modern man about 3 million years ago. And all of man's different cultures and societies and nations and races and so forth have evolved from that over the past three million years or so. Well, this is, of course, vastly different from what the Bible teaches. So we want to study that then this morning. I might just say, first though, a word about our own work. As the pastor indicated, we're trying to do what we can to get information supporting the belief in creationism back into the schools, and into our societies uh, wherever possible. So we established what we call the Institute for Creation Research three years ago out in San Diego. And along with that, in fact, it's a part of a college which we established too, Christian Heritage College, which is a four-year liberal arts college. We have a number of different majors And if any of you young people would be interested in that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But uh, the college does have different degree programs in uh, Bible and missions and missionary aviation and so on, as well as in the liberal arts areas and in some of the science areas. But we're trying in the college to uh, structure everything around creationism instead of evolution, as is true in the uh, state universities and the secular colleges and even in many Christian colleges. And then associated with the college, we have the Institute for Creation Research, which is trying to conduct a a a national, in fact, international ministry in uh, research, in creationist uh, problems, and also in in writing. We're trying to produce textbooks and other literature which will permit uh, Christian schools as well as public schools to have access to information information showing the fallacies in the evolutionary approach as well as the strong evidence for creation. And also we have a teaching ministry. We, well, this sort of conference, such as this weekend here in Cincinnati, and around the country we hold teaching institutes and seminars. We have a radio network and so on, trying every way we can uh, to get information out uh, to the public as widely as possible. We believe it's a, a ministry which is needed, and we would appreciate your prayers. If you're interested in, in knowing more about it, being on our mailing list, we do have uh, some cards that you can sign, and uh, I think there's some sample copies of our monthly newsletter, The Acts and Facts, which you're welcome to take. I think you'll find this a very interesting and helpful little uh, publication each month. It's free, and if you want it, just uh, sign one of the cards, and we'll be glad to send it to you. The... Uh, subject in for this morning is the origin of man. And I'd like to just uh, read a number of scripture verses. You can turn to them if you wish, but uh, we'll just go through them rapidly to sort of get a good uh, biblical orientation on this subject, first of all. Because of this pressure in the schools, while many people, of course, have been tempted to sort of try to work out some kind of a compromise with the evolutionary idea of man, many schools, of course, teach that man's body evolved. In the way that the evolutionary uh, philosophy has it over millions of years but that at some point in time God put a soul into that body and that was the creation of man and then since then why man has been a, a man instead of just a, an, an ape like uh, man or, or a man like ape I should say but that isn't what the Bible teaches there were no men before Adam in first Corinthians 15 45 it says the first man Adam was made a living soul verse 47 says the first man is of the earth earthy, so Adam was the first man there were no pre-Adamite men Well of course man is born of woman now and so one might say well What about the woman well first Corinthians 11 has the answer to, to that and now, you know what I'm quoting from the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. Some people won't accept the Old Testament. They say they'll believe the New. Well, the New Testament teaches the same thing as the Old. They're, it's all the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 11, 8 says, The man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, ever since Adam, of course, man has been born of woman, but the first woman was made of man. And... There's just no way one can harmonize the teaching of the making of the first woman with the evolutionary idea. How could, how could we have this evolving population of man-like primates, both male and female, of course, and then God put a soul in man, and then uh, what about this story about the woman taking woman out of the side of man and bringing her to the man and so on? It just doesn't make any sense in terms of the evolutionary idea at all. So there's no way one can compromise or harmonize the biblical record of the origin of man or woman with the evolutionary system. I also note Genesis 3.20. It says, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve was the mother of all living so that everyone who has ever lived has been uh, a descendant of Eve as well as Adam. And there were no pre-Adamite men. There were no pre-Evite women. They were the first. Now, as far as the various nations and tribes and peoples are concerned, in Acts 17... Verse uh, 24, Paul says to the philosophers at Athens, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he's Lord of heaven and earth, well, if not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though, he gave, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all men life and breath and all things. And he hath made of one blood. That's in the King James, and the note, of course, indicates that some of the manuscripts don't have the word blood, and it may be an open question as to whether... It should be one blood, or just one. But at any rate, the the meaning is basically the same: that all men have come from one man, has made of one blood all nations of men dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. And this tells us, of course, that God had a purpose for not only man in general, but the nations of men in particular. Every nation, God has made all nations and he's determined the times appointed and the bounds of their habitations that all of them should seek the Lord. So, in other words, in the corporate life of mankind as a whole, God had a purpose for man as a whole, but in order to accomplish that purpose for all men, he has uh, a divided man, ordained that man should govern himself in institution of human government, and there, man should be under, under human law, under divine law, and each nation, then, has a, has a place to uh, a fill in God's uh, purpose for mankind as a whole. Now, somebody might say, well, what about the cavemen? Well, let me just read an interesting verse in Genesis 19, verse 29. It says, It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. So did you know that Lot was a caveman? And you see, there are people who have lived in caves. Down through history, there are people who live in caves today. And the fact that Lot was a caveman didn't mean at all that he was an evolving ape man. He had been a very cultured man, living in one of the highly civilized cities of the day, and uh, had been one of the elders of the city, sat in the gates of Sodom and so on. So he was an educated man and a cultured man, and yet he lived in a cave. And so when we find evidence of people who live in caves, or who used to live in caves, that doesn't necessarily mean at all that they were ignorant, uncouth, uh, half-animal-like people. It may have meant just that they, uh, that they occupied caves. Maybe they lived down on the plain somewhere and just went up into the caves for recreation or something. A lot of people do that today. They call them speleologists. They like to look around in caves. And, uh, of course, these cavemen made paintings on the cave walls and so on. And they uh, apparently were quite talented people. So we want to keep this in perspective. Sometimes you read about Stone Age people. The archaeologists and the anthropologists have divided human history up into different ages, which they call the Old Stone Age and the New Stone Age, and the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and so on. And they, they sort of picture it as maybe something like this, maybe 100,000 years ago to 500,000 years ago, man began really to, to begin to be man. Before that, he just lived as a sort of, a, of an animal. But now he began to develop some tools. He began to chip away some, some rocks and make some stone axes and, and weapons and so on. And so uh, he, he, had, he began the Stone Age, and that lasted a long, long time. And then he began to uh, organize his societies, and he began to uh, maybe raise a little uh, uh, of wheat or corn, instituted agriculture. He began to, to domesticate some animals. And maybe began to to, to build some little crude villages and towns and the beginning of civilization this would be maybe be the new Stone Age and then sometime later than that maybe oh 8,000 BC or so why he learned how to work with metals and uh, the Bronze Age began and then still later the Iron Age and so on and finally we get down into into uh, the domain of of history And we have the idea that man gradually, by just this slow evolutionary process, was going through all these different stages of culture and society. And so we speak of the Stone Age people. Well, as a matter of fact, there are people who live in the Stone Age right today, just as people live in caves today. There are people who live by hunting and and gathering. They don't uh, have any agriculture. They don't domesticate animals. They don't use metals. My uh, my daughter and her husband are missionaries to such a, a tribe in New Guinea. They live way back in the jungle, just about as far away from anything as you can get, I guess. And they, uh, they're hunters and gatherers. And that's supposed to be the first uh, evolutionary stage of human culture, I guess, hunting and gathering. Well, that's the way they live today. And uh, we were there with them this summer. We spent a couple of days back in their tribe, and we got to know these people. And they weren't like uh, monkeys or anything. They were real people. They, each one had his own personality, and each one had his own little problems and so on. And as a matter of fact, it was kind of interesting, although they, uh, they didn't really use stone weapons. They, they used wooden weapons. They didn't even have any stones. All they had was trees, and they, they, they were pretty ingenious at making uh, wooden implements. And, of course, if, if these had been living 10,000 years or so ago, while the wooden implements probably would have decayed, so we wouldn't have known anything about the wooden implements. But uh, that's what they use. And yet, at the same time, it was kind of interesting to see these, uh, well, they were practically uh, naked savages, you'd call them if you didn't know any better. That's what they looked like. Uh, with, these, uh, we, with these wooden implements and these uh, grass, thatched roof houses up on stilts and so forth, and yet, somehow or other, these men had all acquired cigarette lighters, and they would light their cigarettes with, <laughs> with these modern <laughs> implements. Well, what my, my point is, you see, that uh, here are some Stone Age people living today. There are cavemen living today, people who live in caves today. And if they do that today, they've probably lived in caves and had Stone Age cultures, and other groups have, all down through history. So there wasn't a Stone Age and a Bronze Age and so forth. Why, these ages have coexisted down from the beginning, depending on p- each particular tribe and location. So we'll come back to that again in a minute. Let's, let's consider some of these uh, so-called ape men briefly. Now, this is the, uh, the evidence, of course, that impresses so many of our young people. Uh, the, you see in the museums these displays of, the, of uh, old Neanderthal and Pithecanthropus and all these uh, uh, folks like that. And Life Magazine has come out with this beautiful display, and I'm sure everybody's seen, the, seen that. It's posted on the school bulletin boards and so on. Have this long series of men. It looks very impressive, of course. It starts over here with the little lemur-like uh, animal, or the torsier, and then gradually man begins to, to straighten up a little bit and to grow, or not man yet. Down here about 13 million years ago, we get to Ramapithecus. Ramapithecus is one of the main links in human evolution. Rama is the name of a god in India. Pithecus is the suffix meaning ape. And the reason for the name was because of the remains of Ramapithecus were found in India. And he was considered to be mostly ape, of course, as the name implies. But at the same time, he's definitely beginning to be man because his head is getting bigger. And he's walking up right now and he's carrying some kind of a club. Looks like he's beginning to learn how to use uh, implements. And then you go a little further, you get over maybe about three million years ago, or two million, to Australopithecus. Australopithecus is the name that's been associated with most of the finds of Dr. Leakey in South Africa. Found lots of fossils of Australopithecines and related hominid forms. Australopithecus now, of course, he's still really like an ape in that he has a small brain. Apes have a brain about 500 cubic centimeters, and that's about what Australopithecus had. Whereas modern man is about 1500 to 1600 cubic centimeters, Australopithecus still had this small brain, but nevertheless he seemed to be using some crude stone tools and walking upright. Thought he used fire and so on, and even uh, even maybe uh, waged warfare against uh, fellow Australopithecines. There was a special, I understand, I didn't see it just a week or so ago about this on the TV. Well, anyway, then you come a little further along. You get to Homo erectus, and this is the name given to various men, such as Pithecanthropus erectus and Peking Man, and some of the others. And now this is about maybe five hundred thousand years ago, and these are supposed to be men. They're Homo erectus, but they're not modern men. They're still, well, they have very heavy brow ridges, and they have a uh, they uh, they have a bestial appearance. You can tell very very definitely by just looking at them that they're not very far removed from the ape. It's very plain to see in, in the Life magazine pictures there that uh, this is not a modern man. Only he's walking upright and uh, has a number of characteristics of man. You come a little further along, you get to Neanderthal man. And now he's a good deal more like modern man, but he still looks uh, ape-like. He has these heavy brow ridges and bent over and everything. By the time you get to Cro-Magnon man, why this is modern man essentially, except in his culture he lived in a very crude way, no doubt, but uh, he was he was have the size of brain that modern man has and so on and in fact his physical stature was somewhat higher than the average height of modern man well, this looks pretty impressive you've got this this beautiful array of pictures and uh, the life magazine artists have drawn uh, pictures of tribes of these australopithecines and so forth, the way they lived, and it looks very impressive, and you can see it right there before your eyes, so you have to believe that man has evolved from this little monkey over here, just as obvious, just looks at it, you look at it, the only problem is about 95% of that is pure imagination, it's just utter speculation, not based on facts at all, Uh, the man was a good artist, all right, (laughs) but he wasn't a good scientist. Now, there's a great deal of difference between a handful of fragments of bones, and that's what they have, and these beautiful pictures. Now, let's just look at a few of them individually. Let's take Ramapithecus. That's the most important one. Now, the, the, the common ancestor that man has with the apes way back here, nobody's ever found that one. It's believed to be, of course, about 50 million, somewhere between 30 to 70 million years ago, that the two lines, one leading to man and one leading to the apes, diverged. So they have a common ancestor back here somewhere at the beginning of the Tertiary period, but nobody's ever found that common ancestor. So we don't really know about that one. It's just assumed that probably came from something like the lemur or something. But the first thing that's believed to really be in the line leading to human evolution, beginning to diverge from the from that from the line leading to apes, is Ramapithecus. Now, there's a group of others about the same. There's Dryopithecus and Limnopithecus and Oreopithecus and a few others. But Ramapithecus is the one that is considered the most important, so let's consider him. Well, uh, Ramapithecus walking upright, looking a great deal like a man, but still mostly ape. It's interesting that they can figure all that out, because what they have of Ramapithecus, the actual bones that they have of Ramapithecus, Uh, not a complete skeleton at all. What they had was a few teeth and a few fragments of a jaw. That's Ramapithecus. That's all we have of Ramapithecus. Now, how you can tell from a few teeth and fragments of a jaw that he walked upright, for example, I don't know. Might have crawled on all fours or on his belly or whatever. Nobody really knows. But life shows him walking upright. Anyway, that's all he had. And the reason for thinking that he was leading to man was because these teeth of Ramaphithecus were not the the same kind of teeth that the great apes have. In some respects, they, they had certain characteristics that looked like they were beginning to be leading towards human teeth. And so he was considered to be leading toward man. Well, teeth don't necessarily make the man, of course. There are other things besides teeth. But uh, what about those teeth? Well, an interesting... Uh, summary was made of uh, the evidence of these Pithecine animals by Dr. Eckhart at Penn State University a couple of years ago. He's uh, probably done more research on this uh, particular group of animals than anybody. And he pointed out that, that the difference between Ramapithecus and Dryopithecus and Limnopithecus and all of these others was uh, really very trivial. He, he pointed out that a, a tribe of living chimpanzees, for example, that living chimpanzees, the, the characteristics from one individual to another, would differ more than all the characteristic differences in all these different fossil apes. So they probably all just represent one kind. They're not a whole lot of different species, but they're all just uh, different individuals in, in one kind. And he said, as far as Ramapithecus is concerned, uh, and I'm quoting from him now in one of his articles in Scientific American, He said, uh, Ramapithecus might be ancestral to man, in the sense that uh, he was part of a hominid line which may be later developed into man, but as far as Ramapithecus himself was concerned, he said, uh, anatomically, behaviorally, and ecologically, Ramapithecus was an ape. He was simply an ape. And an interesting uh, discovery was made about three years ago when uh, some... uh, scientists in Africa found a new tribe of baboons living in the, in the highland forest in South Africa. These were not in the same habitat as the other baboons of which they were familiar. They had a different uh, habitat, therefore they had a different diet, and consequently their teeth had developed somewhat differently because of their different diet. And these baboons, which were called the Theropithecus galata baboon, had exactly the same kind of teeth as Ramapithecus. Only these were baboons, and they're not beginning to be men. They're just baboons. That's all they are. And they have the same kind of teeth as Ramapithecus, and that was the only, kind of, only reason for thinking Ramapithecus was about to become a man, was his teeth. So I think you can just cross Ramapithecus off. And then the next one we come to of any importance is Australopithecus. And these are the fossils of Dr. Leakey's. He wasn't the first one that found them, but he's been most associated with them. And he's found a number of others, like Xenjantropus, well, now, since then, he's decided Xenxanthropus was one of the Australopithecines, and he's found what he called Homo habilis, which is probably also an Australopithecine, but it might be uh, in the line leading to Homo erectus. It's a little bit uncertain about that. At any rate, uh, whatever, whatever the Australopithecines might have, been, uh, might, might have been their significance, you can pretty much cross them off too now. Now, there have been different arguing uh, arguments among the anthropologists themselves. As to whether Australopithecus was leading to man or not, many of them thought he was just a sort of a of a dead end. That whatever Australopithecus was, he died out and didn't lead to man. Man came from another direction. So there's been that difference of opinion, but uh, the majority probably has felt that he was in the evolutionary line leading to man. But now uh, all that is changing, because of more recent discoveries of Richard Leakey, the son of Louis Leakey, now, Dr. Richard Leakey. Has continued the work of his father and he's had a team of anthropologists working with him and they've made a lot of additional discoveries the last several years some of these have been quite significant and including uh, more discoveries of bones of Australopithecus only now they have more of the of the uh, complete uh, skeleton before it was mostly just parts of the teeth and, and all these are the ones that are these are the parts that are most easily preserved And so most of these fossil men are mostly teeth, actually, because that's what's preserved better. But uh, now he's found some of the bones of the full framework of Australopithecus. And instead of Australopithecus walking upright, as they had thought he did, now they find, when they have the complete skeleton, that he didn't walk upright at all. And in a a recent article in Nature magazine, Dr. Leakey says, in fact, the the title of the article is, Australopithecus, a long-armed, short-legged knuckle walker a long-arm, short-legged knuckle walker. Now, that means he walked like an ape, and he looked like an ape. We already knew he had a brain like an ape. He's simply an ape. That's all. And so you can cross him off. Australopithecus is not an evolutionary form of man either. Now, his teeth were a little bit like uh, human teeth, and probably the same reason that Ramapithecus was, that Australopithecus. Uh, Lived in a different region, had a different diet, and so his teeth were a little different. But teeth don't make the man, and the rest of Australopithecus is not anywhere near like a man. Well, now we're getting down a little more toward modern times, and the next one of any importance would be Homo erectus, which means Pithecanthropus and Peking man, and used to have Peltdown man in this group, and some of the others. But of course, this is all very nebulous. The Piltdown Man has been exposed to be a hoax a long time ago. And that's an interesting story in itself, of course. So When I was going to college, I was told that the three main evidences of human evolution were Piltdown Man, that was the best evidence, and pithecanthropus and, uh, and Peking Man. All three of these are very, very questionable. Piltdown Man's been thrown out. It was proved to be a hoax. And the interesting thing is that it was... It was a, such a convincing hoax that it threw all the best anthropologists of the world for a long, long time. You'd think that if these men really could tell what bones mean, that they would have known that, but uh, somehow they missed it. Men like Arthur Teeth, Teilor Thiel, de Chardin, other of the leading anthropologists, they just made a great to-do about piltdown men. And any, incidentally, there's some evidence, although this is very equivocal and Maybe I shouldn't even mention it, but there, I do know there's a, a strong school of thought among the Roman Catholic people themselves that de Chardin was involved himself directly in the Peltdown hoax because he was such a convinced evolutionist, and he was so anxious to get the idea of human evolution across that he, uh, they say, would do anything almost to, to, to get that idea. Well, I don't know whether this is true, but uh, some of the uh, very capable Catholic scholars have advocated that point of view anyway you can forget about Pildown. Uh Pithecanthropus was found by Dr. Dubois in Java back at the turn of the century and he was a convinced evolutionist and just uh, knew he was going to find evidence of evolution in Java that's why he went there and sure enough he did he found Pithecanthropus the erectus the ape man who walked erect is what the name means and uh, This was widely publicized, still is. But uh, some of the anthropologists questioned it. Dr. Dubois finally got sort of angry and hid the bones, locked them up where nobody could see them for many, many years. And uh, much later, when he finally let people look at them, in the meantime, he had decided that they were not an ape man at all. He decided they were a giant gibbon. Probably there were some human parts there, there were, the, the, the femur that he found was probably a human femur, but the teeth and the piece of a skull and so forth were probably part of an ape. They weren't found together, they weren't found at the same time, found over a, a range of 50 or so yards apart, a year or so apart, so they are not necessarily the same individual anyway. But uh, at any rate, he didn't report that in the same formation, the same set of bones, He had found two human skulls, the Wajak skulls. These were human skulls. He found them at the same time he found Pithecanthropus in the same location, the same set of of, uh, river gravels, only he didn't let anybody know about these human skulls for a long time because that wasn't what he was after. He was trying to show evidence that man had evolved. And these human skulls found in the same location would have raised some questions, you see. So it wasn't until a long time later after epithecanthropus was in all the textbooks well since then there have been other fossils of homo erectus found peking man now this is also very doubtful This Jordan was involved in this too in uh... in, in peking but during world war two whatever the peking fossils may have been nobody knows because only a very few people saw them and they all were lost during world war two so nobody can look at them now they don't uh... They're Many of us think that uh, Peking man was probably an ape because the, the fossils of these Peking skulls had been broken open and apparently the brains extracted for food, I guess. And so some, somebody was the hunter who had hunted these Peking uh, beings and had eaten them. Well, Peking man then was not a man who was a hunter. He was the one that was hunted. And the one who would hunt him and and treat him that way would probably be a man. So that at the same time that Peking man was living, there there were men living that were of a higher order anyway than Peking. But anyway, nobody knows for sure because all these bones are gone now. So this is very doubtful. There have been some fossils of Homo erectus, found more recently in Java and other places, in Australia about two years ago. And this is kind of interesting because here we have some modern bones of Homo erectus found in Australia two years ago, which have been dated to be 10,000 years old by radiocarbon dating. Now, that's a different story, and I won't get into the dating aspects today, I guess. There won't be time, but uh, just assuming that that's correct, which I don't believe, but assuming that it's correct, what we do have here is all of a sudden evidence that Homo erectus, whatever he was, lived 10,000 years ago, whereas we, by the same methods of dating, have modern man, Neanderthal man, living at least 100,000 years ago. So Homo erectus can't be the ancestor of man. He would be, man can't be older than his ancestor. So cross off Homo erectus. Now we come to Neanderthal man. Now Neanderthal man is a man. They used to think that he was half ape, but nobody thinks that anymore, even all the evolutionary anthropologists agree that, that, that Neanderthal is Homo sapiens, just like we are. He was a man. found other evidence of him, of course, lots of skeletons of Neanderthal man. And we know that he, for example, uh, painted pictures on cave walls, beautiful pictures. He, he raised flowers, he had an agriculture, he uh, buried his dead, he had some kind of religion, some kind of ritual. And also, more, just within the last year or so, there's come evidence that Neanderthal man, or if not Neanderthal, his ancestors, knew how to write. He had some kind of a written language. So Neanderthal was a man. And he's no more different from modern man than modern man is from each other. There are all kinds of different people, all the way from the Watusi to the Pygmy to the Aborigine, the Scandinavian, the Eskimo, all kinds of different modern men. And Neanderthal is no more different from modern man is than they are from each other. As people have said, if you dress Neanderthal up in a business suit, let him walk down the streets of Cincinnati why nobody would take a second look at him. And the only reason why he was kind of bent over a little bit and maybe had some deformities in his bones was because he he was diseased. Uh, Most of the modern anthropologists think that he had rickets. He lived in the Ice Age, which followed the Flood, and uh, lived near the edge of the ice cap up in northern Europe and so on. And he had a vitamin deficiency, so he developed rickets, or maybe arthritis. At any rate, he was man. He just had, uh, had these uh, physical problems, but he was a modern man, just like we are. His brain capacity was, was higher than the average of modern man, and so was that of Cro-Magnon. So modern man may be somewhat degenerate, actually, from, uh, from Neanderthal and, and Cro-Magnon terms of his average brain size anyhow and one of them, Dr. Leakey's just most recent discoveries of all just this past year he found the fossils of man with a human skull not, not even any heavy brow ridges or anything like that just perfectly human skull uh, with tools walking upright in, in strata which were dated by the regular methods of dating strata to be 3 million years old or I think it was 2.8 million years old and this is even older, not only older than Pithecanthropus and Peking and, and Neanderthal, but older even than Australopithecus, Zinjanthropus. And so here we have modern man older than all of his ancestors, except Ramapithecus, and we've shown that that's no ancestor anyway. So there simply is nothing left. Man has always been man. That's what the Bible says. And ape has always been ape after its kind. Apes, you produce apes after your kind. And man, you produce man after mankind. And that's all. That's the way it's been as far as all the evidence goes. And all this uh, fabrication of Life magazine and the TV and the museums and so forth is just simply not true. And we don't need to be intimidated by it. We need to do what we can to correct it, but don't be influenced by it. It just simply isn't so. Well, I know that there's some, uh, there are some man-like apes. You can probably see some at the Cincinnati Zoo. And there are some ape-like men, too. And you can see them on the streets. But there are no man-apes or ape-men, and there never have been. Now, maybe I should say just a word or two about the, uh, the different uh, groups of men. Now, the Bible says that all men were destroyed by the Great Flood. All men have descended from Adam, and so within Adam's created genetic system were the potential characteristics, the genes for the characteristics of all men that would ever live. And there's a tremendous variety, of course, possible because no two individuals out of all the 40 million billion or so people that have lived have been alike. Identical twins, even them, they're not exactly alike. So that there's a tremendous variety within the genetic pool of the mankind and the DNA molecule which governs heredity is tremendously complex and intricate a marvelous system which provides a tremendous variety and you can develop different characteristics for different situations and so forth and if you uh, you'll have distinctive family traits of course everyone can uh, pretty much recognize the members of a family because there are certain traits that are common to it but uh, nevertheless Although there are distinctive traits and a wide variety of traits, yet all, all involved the basic mankind. Now, at the time of the flood, of course, all men were destroyed except uh, Noah and his wife and Noah's three sons and their three wives. And within this family group was the potential then for the genetic variability of all men since then. And the Bible says that of the three sons of Noah was the whole earth overspread so that we know that all present men have descended not only from Adam but from, from Noah and from the three wives of Noah's sons. So we have to recognize that within a fairly short period of time, just a few thousand years as a matter of fact, all of these drastically different characteristics have developed genetically from this small family group. Many people think, well, that wouldn't be possible. And so the evolutionists say, well, you couldn't possibly get the difference, say, between the the black race and the white race in a matter of 4,000 years. You have to have a long evolutionary history for this. And do you know that in the 19th century, when this was first really being discussed, that the evolutionary scientists uh, promulgated this idea that the black race had evolved, the white race had evolved, the red and the yellow and so forth, each separately with a long history of its own, And in this process of long, slow development, mutations, natural selection, and so forth, obviously some had evolved higher than others. And Charles Darwin wrote to one of his friends that he was convinced that the white race was the one which had evolved the furthest and that in the struggle for existence, eventually these other, less advanced races would be wiped out in natural selection. And Thomas Huxley said the same thing. And all of the evolutionary scientists of the 19th century said the same thing. You see, they just couldn't believe that all these different characteristics would develop within a short period of time from common ancestors. Now, the idea of of racial superiority and so forth isn't popular among evolutionists today, but it was in the 19th century. And our modern race problems stem largely from that. The fact that Hitler thought that his group was the master race and so on, and Karl Marx was a racist and so on. Well, now, in, in the present... They that isn't popular among evolutionists and they've gone back to the idea of a common ancestor for all men, but they Really don't understand then how the the different uh, racial groups could develop You see if if all men did come from a common ancestor and Have evolved in the same world by the same process essentially the same type of environment uh, How did they ever get to be different? That's the question well, the only way they could ever get to be different would be to separate, to be isolated some way in family groups. That's the only way it could, be, could happen. Now, in the evolutionary frame of reference, there's just no, no way of accounting for that. As long as you have a big population, all come from the same ancestor, they're all just mixing and intermarrying, why they'd just be a set of dominant characteristics, and that's all. The only way you'd ever get distinctive characteristics for different tribes and races would be to have them separate. Now, the geneticists have shown this. They've shown this in experiments on the fruit fly particularly, but other animals too, that if you have a big population, you'll have just a very small, uh, a few varieties of uh, characteristics. But if you separate them into a small population, and even uh, without any real evolution taking place, just in terms of the variational ability that's already there in the gene pool, the recessive characteristics which were subjugated by the dominant characteristics in the big, big population now can express themselves and in the small inbreeding population you can get a tremendous amount of change quite rapidly. Well, so the problem is how to get the people to separate. Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that and the Bible has an answer, you see, which the evolutionist does not have. The Bible says that God made them separate at the Tower of Babel. Men didn't want to after the flood, they wanted to live together and build a one-world government and so on, and God didn't want that. He wanted to fill the earth and, and have uh, different contributions from each different system, as we said earlier in Act 17. And so he made them separate by confusing their languages. And I don't know how he did that. That was some kind of a miracle, no doubt. He changed the physiological structure of some of the brain cells or something so that different sounds meant different things to different people. But anyway, they couldn't talk with each other anymore, so each little family group, and I think there were maybe about 70 of them, because Genesis 10 gives the 70 original nations, which I just guess was probably the same as the original groups. I don't know that, but I just, uh, it might have been something like that. Anyway, uh, each little family group then uh, found it couldn't communicate with the next one, so they couldn't work together anymore, and they had to stop building the tower. And finally, they would just have these incoherent arguments, and they finally just... uh, gave it up and said, well, we'll go. And the ones that were the strongest stayed where they were. The others moved out somewhere. And they gradually began moving out. in fresh groups, as uh, time went on, would move out. And the ones on the edge would move out further. And gradually, the different nations spread around the world. And within a small, sort of an inbreeding family stock, now distinctive characteristics could develop quite rapidly. And you wouldn't have to have any further miracles except just this miracle of the confusion of the languages. The rest would follow. But uh, we ought to keep in mind at the same time that in spite of the fact that we do have these differences, and some of them look pretty significant, the real difference is language. That's the thing that caused all the rest. If you can't talk with somebody, then there's no way you can work with him or get along with him. You have to be able to communicate the gift of human speech is the real distinction between man and the animals and no, no evolutionist has ever developed a faintest idea of how to cross that barrier the, the origin of human speech human language is just a great gulf removed from the chatterings and barkings of animals and there's no way of bridging that yet it's a gift of of god in order that god might communicate to man and man with god man with each other in the image of god and so man has the gift of human speech but then he has these different languages, and until men could learn each other's languages, there was no way really of getting along, and that was a long, slow process. So they had to separate and develop their own nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. And just uh, in passing, note that the Bible never mentions race, never mentions it at all. It talks about languages, peoples, tribes, languages, tongues, and so on, but not race. The, ra- the idea of a race, that's an evolutionary idea. It comes from evolutionary biology a race is a subspecies in the process of evolving into a new species but all of us have come from the same parents and each one has its own purpose not only individual but nationally and uh, god uh, ordained it that way well uh, as these people radiated out from babel then and began to develop the civilizations a great civilization developed at the center babylonian egypt and so on and others went out further And some of them had to just go way out on the edges, like Neanderthal man, way out in the edge of the ice cap or way down in the jungles in Africa and so on, and way out into Far East Asia. And those on the edges would, uh, for a time, just have to make do the best they could. In other words, as they went into a new region, they only could take what they had with them. And they had to find new sources of metals For example, although they may have known how to use metals, they didn't have any. So therefore, they had to do what they could, so they used stones. And the first uh, culture then, at any location, would be a Stone Age culture until they could find metals and make some metal implements, but that didn't mean they didn't know how to, and uh, so on. So that as you at these various archaeological sites, you usually do find that civilization was high right, right down to the very bottom, and then you find maybe a little evidence of a Stone Age system because of that and then maybe uh, the next group would push them out further because the population was growing, and so they would uh, push them out and develop their new, new uh, city at the same site. Some cases that happened. At any rate, within this general framework, uh, which we have in the Bible, there's although we don't know all the answers, but uh, within that framework, at least, it looks like we have a good means of getting the answers, and it all makes good sense. It certainly makes far more sense with the with a far smaller number of problems and difficulties than the idea of of human evolution does.